Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. The 2021 college football season is over and Georgia is the national champion. The Bulldogs capped the season and broke a 41-year national title drought by beating Alabama in Indianapolis. To recap the game, what's next for each participant, and take yet another dive into college football playoff expansion talks, I am joined by Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. Ross and I closed out our time in Indy with a wrap-up show about 12 hours after the confetti fell on the Bulldogs at Lucas Oil Stadium. Though we spent most of our time, about three days, four days, here in Indianapolis, in the lobby of a hotel, waiting for conference commissioners to finish up CFP meetings. The game was far more exciting and productive. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us at appodcast.com, where you can also find my colleague Rob Motti's excellent NFL podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, just about anywhere you'd like to get your pods. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to give us a good review and a rating. It helps more college football fans find us and helps us find more college football fans. And away we go. It is the day after Georgia wins national championship. Uh, Ross Dellinger from SI joins me on very little sleep. Probably the two of us combined, maybe five hours. Um, So if we sound a little hoarse, that's why. Georgia is the national champion. Ross wanted to hit a little about that, where you see the program going. We'll talk a little playoff expansion because we spent a lot of our weekend in a lobby of the hotel trying to figure out if anything is going on there, only to find out that doesn't seem like much is going on there. Um, I guess the one takeaway I would ask from you is like, what, what's your, what was your sort of main takeaway from Georgia this season and last night? Was there anything about the, the game last night? that you sort of felt like, okay, that sort of sums it up for Georgia. Um, I'm trying to think. I, uh, I think that was the second time I covered them this year. And I don't even remember the first, what the first game was, but um, one thing just stood out incredibly to me last night about them. And it's the speed on, on the defense. Um, I, it was just, it was an incredible uh, Alabama players. Like every time they tried to get away, Right from from a Georgia defender in the back in the backfield or something, they were they were brought down. Uh, it happened quite a bit with Bryce Young. He tried to he would try to roll out or escape or something, or Alabama would run laterally or receiver run laterally, and they had no chance. I mean, they had no chance at all. And I know Michigan did a lot of that too. <laughs> I don't know why uh, they they tried to run uh, laterally, um, uh, move laterally against against the defense with that kind of speed. So that really stuck out that this defense will probably, you know, go down in history as one of the best ever. And um, I think last night the 18 points were like the most or the fewest Alabama had scored in like 40 games or something like that. I mean, um, that says a lot. And uh, I think that kind of summed it up for me of why Georgia this year has, has done what Georgia has done. Uh, right. It's, it's because of, of their, uh, of their defense and uh, something that might, uh, like I said, go down in 
go down in history as one of the best units ever. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, other than the one outlier game against Alabama, it has been just, you know, one of the great defenses of all time. Uh, they, they, Alabama's total last night of 18 points against Georgia, I believe is the second highest total this season other than the 41 they scored uh, in the SEC championship game. So nobody else, no, in no other game did anybody break 20 against Georgia. Um, pretty remarkable. And also, you know, so this morning, Kirby Smart's um, press conference with the winners of the, you know, with Stetson Bennett and Lewis Sign, the MVPs of the game, and you start spinning things towards next year, they're going to lose a ton of players off that defense. But they've also been recruiting at a ridiculous level, comparable to Alabama, the only school in the country over the last five years that has been recruiting comparable to Alabama. Uh, you know, it, it, it does seem like we might be in for we've already had a pretty good a lot of fun watching Alabama and Georgia knock heads here. It does seem like I, we are on the path to a few more of these. Um, maybe not necessarily them playing for the national championship, but these are the two teams that they're going to play for the SEC titles. Maybe they'll play in champ in college football playoff. We could be in for a very interesting run here of Alabama, Georgia, sort of dominating near the top of college football. Yeah. I, um, I was trying to think back actually, in some of the preview material I was writing this uh, last week of, you know, they, They've met five times in five years and twice in the SEC championship game and twice in the national title. And then once in the top 10 regular season game, like, you know, I mean, when, what, what can they, these two programs in this like era, this like short era uh, be comparable to, you know, I, I started thinking about the LSU Alabama's from 08 to like 14 or 15 when every year they played a lot, they played an SEC championship game, played the national title. And so they had kind of to play the regular season, right? Right, they, yeah, right, right. Every year, which that's the biggest difference, I guess, with these two, right? They they end up meeting more in the postseason because they don't play in the regular season. They don't eliminate each other um, in a lot of ways. So, uh, but there was that when you know there was obviously Florida, Florida State, in the nineties, which they again they had to play uh, every regular season as well. And you can go back through history, right? Like the the Nebraska, Oklahoma's, the Big Twelve, and all that stuff. That's and where it my is. Mind it, it, went. Yeah. 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 It feels, it feels like, um, it feels like that. It feels like we're going to get that for a little while longer, at least until the 70 year old man who looks like he's 50 decides <laughs> to retire every year. You think like maybe this is it when he decides to go out like this or whatever. I can't imagine him going out on a, on a loss like this to his former right assistant. But, uh, yeah, I just everybody kind of keeps waiting for that to happen, and and that's the only thing that's going to happen probably to to uh, to end this series that we're on. Uh, as long as he's there, it feels like it's going to be yeah the Nebraska Oklahoma they deal. The um, the one quick thing on Alabama is you know it's so weird to say like because and you like that well this was not a great Alabama team, and I think that's fair to say it's not a great Alabama team relative to other Alabama teams. Um, I actually think that they have a chance to be much better next year. Uh, but it also shows to a certain degree how far out in front Alabama and Georgia are on just about everybody in the country. And we get into this a lot when we talk about playoffs and why it should expand. And it's, you know, I wrote about this leading into the, into the championship game. 
these teams are just sort of putting together all-star teams. They're recruiting at such a ridiculous level. Like you see the class that A&M's putting together this year. And I know a lot of you know fans are questioning how they're putting that together, but that's another story for another time. But they're putting together this amazing class. Well, imagine if that was pretty much your class every year. That's what Alabama does. That's what Georgia is doing. Um, so when you sort of gaze into next season on Alabama, um, are we seeing like Alabama, you know, could very, is, in fact, in some ways, I, I also wonder if now it's the more motivated Alabama because, oh, well, we lost two games last year. We have to come out and prove ourselves again. It's an interesting spot Alabama is in. And certainly there, I don't think there's any drop off coming anytime soon. No, uh, I don't, I don't see that either. Um, I, I think uh, it'll be interesting where they, uh, has a preseason AP poll come out yet? The, uh, oh, the, not preseason, the, the final. final poll. Final poll. Number two. Yeah, they finished number two. Yeah, I mean, of course, like, I guess I should have known that. But uh, it'll be interesting next year on on who's number one because Alabama returns, I don't know, arguably the top players on each side of the football, right? The Literally the best, the best quarterback and the best, and the best defensive yeah. player. Yeah. <laughs> so um, – I mean, I, it's it was really hard not to put them at number one, even though even though Georgia won this year, it would it would be really hard uh, not to put them at number one. So, um, you know, I I I think and they were they were they were a uh, they were a young team. I think they only started like four seniors or something like that, maybe, um, or really relied on four or five seniors. So uh, they were they were young, and I was, um, you know, we at SI we do commemoratives on national champions. And uh, so I had Alabama. So I spent eight, 10 hours of my day on Saturday writing a, a 2,000, word story on Alabama winning the national championship. And in a lot of the interviews I gathered for it, uh, that was the theme. You know, this isn't even close to the best Alabama team. And here they are having uh, won the SEC championship and been the top seed in the in the playoff and, and playing for another another championship game, it's quite remarkable. But it, it was it wasn't uh, it wasn't his strongest team. The defense has had lapses uh, quite a bit throughout the year uh, against Florida, against Arkansas, against A uh, and M. Um, you know, in in there were times where the offense really didn't look good. Right, just couldn't move the ball consistently. LSU comes to mind. Auburn comes to mind um so it, it just speaks to one the talent level and in two probably the organizational and, and coaching and development that um alabama has in its in its program but it is it was a theme of my my story that would never see the light of day um is this is not i'm laughing but i'm laughing I'm, I'm not laughing at you ross I'm <laughs> i know laughing with you i know uh, i know it got to be what i said it was <clears throat> That, that story, I'm sure it was awesome. I'm sure it was awesome. Yeah. You can just save it on your hard drive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's remarkable. They came, they got as far as they did. Yeah, and again, I, you know, you're going to go into next year and they're going to be probably preseason number one uh, because that's just the way it is. And again, it sort of speaks to this idea that Alabama and Georgia are sort of building all-star teams. I don't know how the rest of the country responds to it, you know, even within the SEC, again, like if you're an, if you're Texas A&M, you think you're coming. You're I'm coming for it to, to, to get those guys. But 
one great recruiting class isn't enough. <laughs> like you two great recruiting classes, probably not stack them. Yeah. I mean, you have to stack to the point of three, four, five years. That's why, you know, when I, I had, you know, pat myself on the back, I had picked Georgia to win the national championship before the season. And, but you know, that was not, there was nothing bold about that. Georgia had been stacking these ridiculous recruiting classes. They're going to replace maybe every defensive starter next year. They could literally come back with maybe one or two players who were like key players on their defense coming back next year because they're so experienced and talented. And I would think there will probably still be a top five team next year. Maybe there's a little bit of a, an adjustment, you know, Stetson Bennett probably moves on, but it's, that's the other thing. Like what's the next iteration of Georgia, the way, what the next iterate with the way Bama went through some different iterations, right? Georgia has been recruiting a more elite quarterbacks. Eventually one of those guys is going to hit. That's not to knock Stetson Bennett. He's got a national championship. We can stop doing that now, but at some point, Georgia could become sort of what Alabama has become, and that is a place destination for the amazing quarterback. And, and again, so that could be the next evolution of Georgia. And I don't know how the rest of the, co- rest of the country stops it. I'm not even sure how the rest of the SEC stops it. Maybe that's the thing. I think it's more who within the SEC can challenge maybe Florida, maybe LSU. You have new coaches there. I think that's the most intriguing thing about next season in the SEC. If I get you to peek toward that is who are the challengers to these two big dynasties, especially at a time when some of the the big boys are going through transition. Yeah. um, You would think when they're on stable ground and and have consistent staff at LSU has proven obviously that it can, it can be that. That that team that that challenges uh, the Alabamas and the Georgias, um, just because of their resources and their uh, recruiting base over there, uh, East Texas and in Louisiana and South Louisiana. So, I think it is probably eventually uh, LSU is the best option. But obviously, A and M is. Um, you mentioned about their recruiting class. It's it's right there and. and they just need to stack a couple of those and and you could see Jimbo and them really uh, doing big things. Um, so to me, you know, and then obviously, like you mentioned, you have, you have Billy Napier at Florida, but that might take a little time. Um, Billy has spent some time around him. I mean, he molds programs uh, like, uh, like Nick does. Uh, I see what he's doing down there in Florida right now. I think he's worked for Nick. like 30 recruiting Mm-hmm. 30 recruiting staff members, it feels like down there. He's creating these new titles uh, built around the transfer portal. I mean, he's he's got a full support staff off the field uh, plan that resembles the one that um, that Nick has in Tuscaloosa. So, yeah, I mean, Florida, LSU, and A&M, right, are the three that would stick out as as the ones. In, but two of the three, like you mentioned, are, are kind of in transition. So it might be a while, right? It, right. Um, it might be a while of of, uh, of Georgia, Alabama, we, you know, uh, duking it out for, for the SEC. So, again, college football playoff was uh, it took up a lot of our weekend, a uh, lot of time for not that much news. Um, as of right now, things are still sort of stalled. Uh, they're, they're, they're not getting to agreement to consensus on twelve but yet they're still going to keep talking. It sounded a little bleak depending on who you talked to yesterday. Bob Bowlesby, especially from the Big 12, sounded very frustrated and seemed like he didn't have a lot of hope that things would 
uh, turnaround. If you talk to other people, they had a little, presented a little more hope. Um, I, I would ask you this, and, and again, you know, so then there's what people say uh, publicly, and then there's what people say privately, and we both hear some of that stuff too. Uh, is there any reason that you believe that it, they could still get it done, and that, that it's worth having more meetings? Like when you when you heard that they're having more meetings, I'm I, I asked some people the question why. I'm wondering if if and when you did what you were hearing as to like, why, why are you even bothering trying to still get this thing done in time to be implemented by 2024 when it just sounds like everybody is to use Bob Bowlesby's words entrenched. Yeah. Well, I think there's probably two reasons. Um, Number one is, as you know, you know, you, they, they've got to come to eventually have to decide on a, on a future model that would start in 2026. So, you might as well start hashing stuff out, continue to hash stuff out with a, maybe a more of a focus to that. Although I know they still are leaving the door open for 24, 25, but it, it does. It looks really bleak. And number two is um, a majority of the presidents want them to do it, you know, and that's the whole thing. That's why they're here is that the presidents want them to do it in, in, in created this subcommittee three years ago to explore expansion um, in, uh, you know, I, I think it's funny, the, uh, you know, the three strong of the 11 uh, presidents in that room, the three strongest, most uh, outspoken, uh, the ones that encouraged expansion more than any other were, were from, guess who, you know, the, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and uh, the ACC. Uh, you could say that all of them are in a way. Um, blocking expansion right now uh i don't know how fair that is for the pac-12 they've been open about the format that they're they're supporting uh but you know there are obviously a lot of things in addition to the format uh but the acc and the big 10 obviously are for now uh based on format are are kind of standing in the way and and, and so yeah to get back to your question i i think that there's a um as as a, a Les Miles would say, there's a want from the presidents to expand, um, and uh, and I think there's a want from most of the people in that commissioner's room to expand. So um, I guess they'll continue to plow away. And to me, um, it's pretty obvious that the ship has sailed on 24, 24 and, and twenty five, and and uh, their focus probably should be on twenty six, which. You know, they can take all the stuff they've talked about and, and kind of start looking at that. Yeah, I still won't completely close it. I'll, just like them, I don't think I'll completely close the door on 24, 25, because, uh, you know, as, as, as somebody sort of explained to me who's sort of peripherally in this is, uh, is what is the motivation? How does the motivation change when the reality of nothing is, is facing the people who are I hate to say it's just standing in the way, but it's it's true. I think I think at this point uh, there have been some concessions made by everybody else, and I think the, the the Big Ten and the ACC seem to be least likely to make the concessions. But again, it's sort of that okay, we've come this far. Like, what does it really mean? Like, will you fu- maybe it, does, does the reality of doing nothing finally set in? And as you said, now the bosses are in the room, the presidents, and I think that there was 
something, you know, listen, it was a planned meeting. They're supposed to, this is when the presidents usually meet around the national championship game. So it's not like they brought them in to ramp up the pressure, but I think that it was notable that they didn't tell them, Hey, don't worry about it. We're not going to meet. Like I think they wanted the presidents to maybe in some ways ramp up the pressure. Cause again, ultimately they are the bosses. One quick, one quick last thing on that, that I wanted to ask you about and that you mentioned the PAC 12 and how it's, you know, not standing in the way on format. And it has been very public George Klyovkov as he did yesterday, basically releasing a statement said, we were, we would agree to this. We would agree to that. And, listed all six formats that they would agree with. I, I think that he has been very savvy at being a disruptor to a certain degree. Um, Klyovkov from the PAC 12, the new PAC 12 commissioner. Uh, I'm not sure if like his portraying himself as a, uh, uh, as a, as a, a finder of solutions, like we are solution oriented. I think that there are some in that room that might uh, snicker at that, but I'm wondering what your sense of, the way the Pac-12 has positioned itself very strategically in many ways, smartly. Uh, but what are your thoughts on the way the Pac-12 has, has, has positioned itself in these talks? Yeah, you, you summed it up uh, pretty well there. I, I think um, the Pac-12 statement was interesting. Well, for one, it just laid out specifically the kind of the six formats that they most, I don't think anybody's surprised by them, but it was interesting to see it publicly laid out in, in detail in a in a statement which is, is somewhat unusual uh so that was interesting but the whole statement came off across as don't blame us don't blame us it's not you know don't lump us into this whole alliance versus everybody else thing um and i think i think the first step in this is settling on a format and then obviously you have if you think about it like a um, you know, a pyramid, you know, and the, the first, the first one up at the top is deciding on a format. And then you have two or three more issues. And then you have two or three more issues under that. I would think that um, uh, Klyevkov has an issue with some of the other things below the format, uh, but they're not there yet, according to him. I mean, they've talked about a lot of these issues, but uh, I think his, his point is you have to settle the, the thing at the top first before we get to these things. And we're not the one stopping us from moving past that first step. Um, the ACC and the big 10 are, um, you know, I, I, I told somebody uh, from the ACC in the big 10 that, uh, you know, the Pac-12 statement's kind of like, don't blame us, blame, blame them, like blame my friends. Um, in the Alliance uh, in both of the people from the ACC and the big 10 had an interesting um, comment. And I think it's based around what Greg Sinke has said multiple times is we're fine at four in both the big 10 and ACC person said the same thing. Well, we're fine at four, you know, ACC has gotten eight teams in um, I think over the course of the nine years or is that right. This, this, is the first year. Um, yeah, this is the first year they yeah. get a team. Yeah, so I think the Big Ten has gotten six teams or seven teams in mm -hmm. over the course of the playoff. Big 12-4, I think, in Pac-12-2. So, right, there's a reason Bob Bowlesby's frustrated. There's a reason that Kalevkov probably put out that statement, right? They, of Power 5 conferences, they needed more than any other. Big 12 in the, in the Pac-12, and especially 
with the Big 12's changing landscape with realignment, they really need it. Uh, and the group of fives obviously need it as well. So they need it more. And it'll be interesting, interesting comment from the ACC person to, to, to say that, like, well, we're fine at 4-2, which tells me this thing's not changing, you know, until maybe until 2026. And that's another whole part of this is the SEC. That was what I wrote about yesterday. Uh, really kind of suggested both its its uh, presidential representative Mark Keenum and Greg Sankey suggested, well, we just we just take our ball and and go home. We we don't need to be involved in negotiations for expansion because we don't need it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, a little bit. You know, Greg uh, Sankey has made those points before, and I do think uh, it was salient when he sort of said, "Listen, we've already conceded here. We've conceded by simply now." Again, that does come across as being a little arrogant to say our concession is we will allow you to play. <laughs> we will allow yeah. more of you to play us. Um, but the fact of the matter is four does work for them and letting, let, you know, growing the tent is a concession because, uh, as we see right now, why, why do, why do the sec teams need to play more games to prove that they're the national champions? Look at what just happened and seems to happen every, every year. Uh, Ross, yeah, the, the last thing I'll ask you before I let you roll and, um, let you go catch a plane and then I'll see you again in this same city in Indianapolis in about a week or so for the NCAA convention. Is there anything, any particular thing about this season? It was nice to have a regular season again, a real season after COVID last year. And obviously there was a few bumps and bruises, especially late in the season and with bowl season. But was there one thing in particular about this season that you found especially fun, especially interesting, a story that you really loved? Um, just what was cool about 2021 as we put a bow on it? Uh, well, it was nice, as you mentioned, to kind of get back somewhat to, to normalcy, um, see people face to face, talk to kids, coaches uh, uh, in the same room. Um, it uh, produces a lot better stuff than, you know, across the virtual medium. But uh, it's it's interesting. You mentioned the NSA convention next week. Um it's it's kind of sad, but every year, I don't know if it's a role I've decided to take, um, but every year I, I find myself writing more and more about off-the-field stuff, even during the middle of the season. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, God, I, I just – I've looked back on this year and I wrote like two or three player features. I mean, I used to write one, felt like a week, and it's because of NIL, conference realignment, playoff expansion, NCAA transformation – there's just so much stuff uh, of a, a significant magnitude going on uh, off the field. Uh, and it's kind of sad. It takes away from the the writing about players and, and the great stories and all that stuff. But um, this year for me, that's what stuck out. It's like we have so much stuff going on off the field that probably will shape things on the field that, uh, that has just kind of like um, <laughs> just overtaken uh, my life, it feels like. <laughs> so yeah, we are in the midst of a, a tumultuous time in college sports. I, I, I suspect that in in five to ten years from now, if we're both still doing this, we will look back on this time real and, and probably uh, and probably appreciate just how tumultuous it is. Like I think a lot of things like NIL and portals, like we're in a in in a transformational time. I don't think what we see now will be what it looks like 
in five or six years because I think there's so much stuff that's basically uh, evolving in real time. We're like living through the evolution of college sports. Very few people, I would actually argue nobody, and there's a lot of people who do this job very well, but I would argue nobody does it better than Ross Dellinger from SI. Ross, man, it's been fun seeing you all weekend uh, and getting to hang out with you here in Indianapolis. Thanks so much for doing this. Travel safely. I will see you again soon in this fair city. And uh, thanks for doing the podcast today. All right, man. Anytime. Thanks, Ralph. And now three and out. First down. The final AP Top 25 for the season was released soon after the game last night between Georgia and Alabama. The great thing about the AP poll, unlike the playoff polls and all the other ways we determine a national championship in recent years is the AP will always put out a final poll and it means a lot to a lot of schools, even if they don't finish number one. We really did have a wild and somewhat chaotic season outside of Alabama and Georgia. Georgia, of course, finished number one. Alabama, of course, finished number two. They were clearly the two best teams all year. However, Four teams that started the season unranked finished in the top 10. Those were number three, Michigan, number five, Baylor, highest final ranking ever for the Bears, number seven, Oklahoma State, and number nine, Michigan State. Overall, 14 teams that began the season unranked finished ranked. That's about three or four more than the average season. I recall at some point during this season saying, Just because the final outcome of the season, the national championship, the final outcome felt inevitable, Georgia, Alabama, with one of them winning, doesn't mean the season itself is boring or was boring. The reason why college football is so much fun is because there is so much going on. This was a season where none of Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson won their conferences. That's pretty remarkable considering where things have been with those teams in recent years. We had so many breakthrough seasons and upsets and wild games. And even though Alabama and Georgia were head and shoulders above the rest of the country, that doesn't take away from the wild rides teams such as Wake Forest and Pitt, Utah, UTSA and Utah State took us on this season. I will link to the final AP poll in the show notes. Second down, Georgia's defense ended up allowing just over 10 points per game this season. That's the best since Alabama held its opponents just under 10 points per game in 2011. That was really right before the big offensive evolution and revolution in college football. Nobody has pounded the point home more than me that defense does not win championships in college football anymore. But Kirby Smart and Georgia proved that if you can build a defense of nothing but four and five star recruits and early round NFL draft picks, yes, you can win with defense. Third down. As Ross said during our conversation, the news just never seems to stop in college sports these days. And the last two seasons, really the last 22 months, starting in March 2020, have been head spinning. The coaching carousel has almost become a year-round thing. The transfer portal has brought off-season moves to college football as never before, almost making it like a pro sport. I know we complain about 
sort of the madness of the transfer portal. But I really do think that it will heighten the interest in college football to have this transactional period because it does it with all the professional sports. The hot stove, so to speak, is a generally a good thing for to get people to follow sports and be more interested in them. Heck, by the time you listen to this show, Caleb Williams could officially be the next quarterback at USC. And that's a huge story that a lot of people are waiting on. In some ways, it has never been more interesting and exciting to cover this sport, but also never more labor intensive. Again, no complaints. I love my job and I really enjoy doing this podcast. We'll keep it going weekly during the offseason, though we might take a few breaks here and there. I promise to try to give you a heads up when we do. I hope you enjoyed this season and thanks for allowing me to help guide you through it. That is the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you'd like to get your pods. Please, please, please follow so you don't miss an episode. Tell your friends so they don't miss an episode. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you'd like to get your pods. Please follow so you do not miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening. Come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.